Welcome to MVP, the Minimum Viable Podcast, where you'll hear lessons and stories from the front lines of the world of technology, aimed specifically at early stage companies. Now, here are your hosts, Doug Armour and Owen Sagnus. Welcome back, everybody, to the Minimum Viable Podcast. Doug and I have taken a little bit of a break for the summer, but we're back to discuss more about uh, early stage companies and uh, how you can be successful. Doug, great to see you. What have you got in store for me this time? Likewise, likewise. Uh, So today we're going to do a deep dive into hiring. So we're going to be looking at how do you go about start hiring? How do you do screening? How do you get people started off on the right foot? Uh, This is personally a topic I'm quite interested in right now because in my business, we're going through a hiring phase. So what advice would you give for finding a great team? That's a good question, Doug. You know what I like to think about is I like to think a couple of steps ahead. So number one is what I advise people to do is think about where the organization's going for the next couple of years and design that so that you've got an endpoint. It's not really an endpoint, but it's 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 an interim point or a milestone in mind. And be thinking about, okay, what are the most critical hires, but how does that fit into where we think we're going to be going over the next, say, two years? Um, so that helps you, number one, to prioritize. Uh, but it also helps you think about what are the what are the skill sets or maybe even what are the nice things to have? So, you know, I've, I've hired people where I create a little chart of what competencies they need, what experiences they need, uh, what are the soft skills. But the other category is what are those things that are nice to have? And so that allows you to do that thinking. If you think about, hey, maybe the organization is going to be a little bit bigger in a few years time. Or maybe there's a new business area we're going to start to get into. So having that roadmap laid out, and, you know, it's probably going to change over time, but at least having the roadmap or the blueprint, as some people call it, laid out, um, I think is, is pretty helpful. Now, that's the starting point, right? That doesn't actually help you in recruiting people. And so another thing I like to think about, and this is something that I don't think a lot of people do early on, but I've, I've experienced in other organizations I've worked in, is thinking about what's the deal? So you ever heard of the, the deal? Well, what, is, what is the deal? We used to talk about this uh, at Microsoft sometimes, actually, which was what are all those things that people get when they work at your company? So yeah, there's pay, and, and I'll talk more about pay in a moment, but are there stock options? Are there benefits? what's the kind of work that people are going to be doing and what's the work environment? What's the culture? All those things go into allowing people to assess. Is this the kind of place I want to work at? One of the really interesting things, and and again, Microsoft used to do this and some other places that I've worked at either as an employer on boards, we've, we've done this, is where do you want to place the pay relative to the rest of the market? One of the things that some people do is they say, well, we're, we're not going to be the, the pay at the top of the market. We're gonna pay at the bottom end of the market, or maybe we're gonna pay really senior people at the top of the market, but junior people at the bottom of the market. So what's the pay strategy? One of the things that I have seen is where people say, well, we're gonna pay at the 65th percentile of the market. So a third of the market will be above us, two thirds will be below us, but we've got a better benefits plan, or we've got a better stock option plan. I worked at a company once where Part of our strategy for junior developers was to pay them 
fairly low, actually, like well below the average for the market with the assumption that we would get a lot of people in and then some people wouldn't fit, they would move out of the organization. And then the people that we really liked, we would start to move them up in terms of pay relatively quickly. And and so it was a feeder system, almost like a, you know, a farm team in a way. Bring people in, you see who's working out, you bring the people forward who are doing really well, start to increase their pay. The other people will naturally leave the organization because somebody else is going to offer them more money, but you know, those are probably the people that they they weren't your A players anyway. Right? So so thinking strategically about the roadmap number 1. Number 2 is what's the deal? And and the deal always has to be relative to what everybody else in the market is doing. So you, you got to get a little bit of intelligence through people that you know through your network, or you know bigger companies will do salary surveys, that kind of thing. Um, and and that's a that's a good starting point. And then the question is, how do you actually recruit them? How do you get people in the door? We were actually just talking about this outside before this call. Uh, one of, one of the ways is internships. So. I did six internships at IBM when I was a student. So I got to try IBM out and they got to try me out, right? And, and I've hired people in the past who have been interns. So it's, it's a great way to create a feeder system into the organization. It also means that you're, you're in the community. You're probably working with the local universities. So I, I've done that actually recently, just a few years ago, working with a local university. We always had interns because it was a great feeder system for developers and marketers. We also got to know the professors, some of the key professors at the universities, You know, the people in the administrative side. So I, I love internships. Uh, as as a way to get started, um, and you know, not everybody that you want to hire is going to be an entry level person, um, but that's a great way to build up a pipeline uh, of of entry level people. And not only that, if they have a great experience, they tell their friends. Oh yeah, I was working for Doug's company, and it was great. They treated me super well. That helps to to build the pipeline and expand your your footprint and your network in the local market. Uh, the other, another great way, and this is just, you know, it, this, this goes right back to my very first job as a dishwasher at a restaurant is friends of the people that already work in your organization. And, and there's actually a lot of data that shows that, uh, you know, if you like person A, the friend of person A, it probably is going to be a better fit than just a random person off the street. So again, networking. I think is is super important, whether it's establishing that through internships, once you start to get people in the organization, their friends. I don't know if, if you've ever done this, Doug, but uh, certainly saw it in a lot of organizations where I was, was a referral bonus. So we, you know, we used to give people a small cash bonus if they referred somebody that was then hired. So now we don't have, let's say five recruiters. Now we got 50 recruiters working for us. It was completely worth the money. Again, people who know people, generally, they're not going to recommend somebody that isn't a good recommendation because they, they don't want their reputation to be harmed, right? Uh, but providing a, a little uh, referral bonus for people, we felt went a long way. And, you know, little, I'm talking in the order of $1,000, $2,000. Maybe there's some other kind of... Uh, 
merch or you know some other kind of prize, a dinner for two, you know, whatever it is. I, I think it's got to be enough that it will make people think about it and be willing to you know pull their network in. Uh, and you know, and then you you go into LinkedIn. I mean, you can set up sourcers and recruiters. You can use outside recruiting firms. You know, those are things that will work at scale, but they take a little bit longer. I find they have a, I don't know if it's a lower success rate, but there, there's certainly a lot of work that you have to do when you start to mine those kinds of tactics or strategies because you're flying blind a little bit. Um, another one would be, and this is the same tack, I guess, as those other ones, is job boards, local job boards, uh, advertising, right? So some people will do advertising on Facebook. You can you can get pretty good targeting on social media. For startups, I tend to focus more on the, the ground level, what you do through your network. When you're starting off a company, do you want to hire great or do you just want to hire good enough and train them up typically? What's the strategy? Well, it's the old buy versus build question. And this isn't just a startup question. This is a question for any size of business. Uh, one of the factors behind that that you've got to look at is what does the market look like? So are you trying to get a type of person that's very rare, very specific to your kind of business? You might be better to build. Uh, the other thing about that is if you think you're going to need a lot of those people over time, again, you might be better to build. So I'll, I'll give you an example. Years ago, I worked at IBM, I said earlier, as an intern. Well, IBM had this incredible program for building salespeople. It was called BST, Basic Sales Training. It took 12 months for people to get through that program. And the key was they were looking for your potential. They were looking for certain competencies but you didn't have to know how to sell. You didn't have to know computers. They could teach you computers. They could teach you how to sell. So if you were good quality raw material, they felt that you know they could build a great salesperson and, and they did actually. Years later, working at Microsoft, we love to hire people from IBM because they had this fantastic training program, right? So we, we early on did not build out that kind of sales training because there were lots of those people in the market and we could, we could buy that skill set. If you can't get the people that you need, then you might need to build, but usually you can buy the skill set that you need. You can find it in the market and, and you can bring it in. But I found as well in any of the industries I've worked in, there are usually a few places that are really well known for training people right out of university or the kind of the first job, and then they go elsewhere, right? But you know, they've had great training. So IBM used to be really good. I think they still are. Uh, Xerox was another one in terms of salespeople. Uh, when I was in the media industry, there were some ad agencies that were well-known for training people. And then, you know, people would be there for a year or two and then they'd leave, but you'd look at their CV and say, oh, you worked there, oh, fantastic. I know you're really well-trained. So knowing who those companies are, you know, where, where they train the good people and then being able to hire those folks works really well. So once you find the person, what will make them want to join your company, especially if you're a small startup and you don't have much to offer? Well, you, you might have a lot to offer. You never know. Well, <laughs> and, and that's why I talked about the deal. What, what is the deal? And I used to say, look, number one is, is it the kind of work that people love to do? 
So if people are, are doing the kind of work that they love doing, that's a huge attractor. There are lots of people doing work that they don't love doing. They're getting a paycheck, fine, but do I love the work? Number two is you've gotta be able to articulate a strong vision for where the company's going. It's about purpose, right? I support this purpose. We're, we're driving towards something. Yeah, it's not here yet. Maybe it's a year or two out, but if I buy into that purpose, then that's a huge attractor. So the kind of work, the purpose, uh, and then the third thing, as I mentioned earlier, is the deal. Am I being fairly compensated for the work that I'm doing? And that can change over people's lifetime. Early on, I'm, I might be looking to buy a house and I just need cash. <laughs> I, I don't care about benefits or, you know, I'm not that worried about culture. Maybe I, it's just about cash. At a different point in my career, and maybe I'm a person who has children, I want to have a good benefits plan. I want to know that they can get braces on their teeth if they, if they need them. I want to know that I've got great work-life balance so that I, I can get home and pick my kids up or maybe it's hybrid work and I can drop my, my kid off at daycare in the morning because we've got flexible hours. So um, it's, it's kind of work, it's the vision of the company and it's, it's the deal. And you've got to determine what that is. If people don't want that, that's fine. They'll self-select out. But I think you've got to be able to articulate what those three things are in the recruiting process that should attract the right kind of candidates that you're looking for. I remember working at a company and uh, the company had hit about 2000 people, maybe a little bit less, and people were leaving. Some people, why are you leaving? They've been, been there a long time. Well, I really like working at startups and the company doesn't feel like a startup anymore. Fair enough, <laughs> right? So those are the kind of people that might come and work for your startup. So some people really love the, the, the world of the startup where it's what some people would call an ad hocracy. Everything's ad hoc, right? And if you're really good at figuring out how to work in an ad hocracy, uh, then the startup is the place for you. Some people like working in environments that are very structured and, and low risk and they should go work in government. Uh, or or uh, or an oil company, you know. There's there's different types of cultures, and people I think will want to find the culture that works best for them. And hey, if I love working in that ad hocracy kind of world, startups are are the place to be. Uh, if not, you know, there there are other kinds of places that that people want to work. So you got to be able to articulate that. It's it's also good during an interview process to be testing for some of that stuff. Right, testing for how do people respond to certain things? Are they are they willing to go outside the boundaries and work on anything? And you know, they they love to learn, or do they want more structure and less risk? Question. That's a good question. I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. It's just people need to find the, the kind of culture environment that that they love. For you in particular, right, people that are a bit more generalist as opposed to specialist are are probably at this stage of growth what you're looking for. Now, if you yep. need something, wear many really, hats. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If you need something specialized, you bring in a contractor, they do the job, and then and then they're done, right? And you get that specialist knowledge. I just want to dive a little bit more into the process. So, like at first, you create a profile, you said, of a person mm -hmm. that you want. Mm -hmm. Then, do you, I guess, gather resumes from a bunch of different sources? When you, I guess, get past the resume stage and you've uh -huh. narrowed it down to a small group, mm. how much time should you even put into 
look at each candidate, or I guess maybe that depends on the position. <laughs> wow. Well, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer, number one. So one thing I will say is I've worked in organizations where 10 interviews, 12 interviews was not uncommon. Uh, I remember getting interviewed myself from one organization, 17 interviews, and I didn't get the job, wow. <laughs> which is interesting. Wow. But, <laughs> Um, and you know, I, I've, when I started at Microsoft, I got interviewed one and a half times <laughs> and, and I say one and a half, the, the job that they were hiring for was very, very, it was basically the exact job that I was doing at one of their competitors. Really just the difference was a different product set. And so I, I came in, interviewed with my potential boss, got great feedback in the interview. And he said, um, okay, I want you to meet my boss. And so I go back a week later, his boss had just gotten off a red eye flight from Seattle and he was sick. So he said, no sleep, <laughs> he's sick as a dog. <laughs> I go in there, we chat for 20 minutes. He says, yeah, I can see you get it. I'm good. And that was it. Right. And you know, I stayed at Microsoft for 20 years. So, so that, that worked out. And, and so it's, it's sometimes you may even have a process that says we need to interview somebody many times. Sometimes you get a candidate where you just say, this candidate is the candidate we need. And you just short circuit the process. I don't know that there's a right or wrong answer. What I will say is the more people you've hired, the more you get a sense of who's the right fit. So the more experience you have, uh, I find your your mistake rate is much lower and you can usually move through the process more quickly. Let me add something here, and this is more for larger organizations. Sometimes when you're hiring somebody, they're working in a world where they've got to work with various different groups. And it's a great idea to make sure that people from those dependent groups have a chance to interview the person. Because part of what you're doing is you're building uh, buy-in by doing that. So if I'm hiring a key person, they've got to work with four other groups in the company. I want to make sure that they've got a representative. Those other four groups have a representative in the interview panel or process. Because if they've got a major concern and I hire the person, it's probably not gonna work out. So the interview process is a great opportunity to create buy-in uh, within the organization before somebody's hired. Once you've selected your candidate, that's your favorite, mm -hmm. uh, how do you go about onboarding them, starting them off on the right foot? Or is that first week very important to get things started right? All new employees are incompetent. <laughs> okay. So I think you, ha you have to realize that. And it's not it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing for the manager to realize that nobody comes into a brand new company and a brand new job and knows what they're doing on day one. And it's your job as a manager to make sure that that person lands well inside the company. Now, if I've got an employee that's been doing the same job for five years, has always been doing it incredibly well, I'm adapting my leadership style with that person to say, let them run with it. They don't need me handholding. They know what they're doing. If I want to get in their way, I guess I can, but I'm probably better just to let it be very efficient and let that person do what they can do. The new person, 
you know, how do I send an email? Uh, wh- what system do I use to file an expense report? You know, what, whatever. There's, there's all sorts of context that they don't have. Even the work style, the culture. These are all things that, as much as the interview process went well, you've got to help people land really, really well. And, mm. and I think it's, it's a failure of management if a person doesn't land really, really well in the job, either you hired the wrong person or you didn't onboard them properly. So you've got to have an onboarding approach. Again, that requires some thinking, requires some work on the part of the hiring manager. It's going to be a little bit different for every person that that comes on board, every job that comes on board. But one thing that I think is really important, particularly for more senior leaders is you know, your calendar's often booked way in advance. People are booking meetings six weeks out, eight weeks out, whatever it happens to be. You're in back-to-back meetings all the time. You've got to carve out time for the new employee. So you've got to get it in the calendar and make sure you've got frequent touch points, number one. Um, because sometimes if, if you don't, you know, you wake up three weeks down the road and the person's going, oh, I've I barely even talked to my boss since I got here. Um, so, so make sure it happens. That's your job as, as a leader. Um, the second thing is, is to understand that, like I said, all new employees are incompetent. Sometimes you, you've got to be more um, directional in your feedback to people. So you've got to let them know how things work, how things need to be done. Uh, you know, they, they don't have all that, that context that people who've worked for the company for a while have. And, and so that's not a bad thing. That's just a normal thing, it, but it does take more time. So you've got to make sure you carve out the time for those folks to give them the direction that they need. The next thing I, I like to do is have a new hire buddy, okay. somebody on the team who that's the, that's the new hire buddy for this person. And for the, a lot of little things, their boss is in a meeting, whatever it is, or you know, there are details of the job that even the manager may not understand. Well, they can ask somebody else in the company who may know how to do that. And I remember my very first job out of university and uh, I had a new hire buddy who'd been at the company probably 15, 20 years. And he sat next to me. And, uh, you know, when I had a quick question, his name was Jay. Hey, Jay, like, what about this? And he would tell me. It was fantastic. It accelerated my onboarding because he was right there. It was so easy. You know, it was assigned to him as, as part of his job to, to help me get onboarded. Fantastic technique. You know, if, if the organization's big enough and you, you've got the people that can do that. Well, that sounds like a great start off. Yeah, and I, I'll tell you, I've, I've worked for technology companies where who shall remain nameless. But if you've worked there, you, you know who I'm talking about, where new employees show up and they don't even have a computer for the first week. <laughs> and, oh, wow. and, you know, I, I've lived that. It's 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 embarrassing as a hiring manager, actually, and it's it's tough to get people on board when they when they don't have the equipment. So maybe that's another one: is make sure they've got the tools they need to do the job when they show up. <laughs> Very good one to start with. <laughs> so if you were like hire me for the first week, what would my first week look like? Depends on the job, honestly. Okay, because if if you said, well, it's a marketing role, well, that's one thing if it's a sure, sales role sure. it's a different thing if it's an engineering role it's it's a different thing the key that that i want is to make sure that you've got the tools that you need to get the job done you understand where to go to get the information that you need you've got a new hire buddy that that you've met and and 
that you and I are checking in very frequently. So even if, uh, you know, let's say we've got a one-on-one scheduled for around the end of your first week, I still want to be swinging by your desk if, if it's an in-the-office kind of situation saying, Doug, how are things going? Need any help with anything? You may be completely frustrated by something that I can help you with in a matter of minutes. So um, I think it's important to, to just stay connected uh, through that process. Another thing that um, one company, well, actually a few companies I've worked out have done, is uh, they've had an onboarding guide. So there's a company portal and it's got all the policies and procedures. It's got links to sales training or product training or whatever it is you may need. Uh, you know, there, there's an actual onboarding guide on the company portal. So use, using the technology and saying, Doug, if you just remember one thing, here's what you type into your browser to get to our company portal. And you, you can see all the resources that you need, how to file an expense report, all those kind of things uh, are, are there. So the, and there's, there's lots of good software now uh, that you can get in the market that gives you the, the company portal and all the categories are there. You just have to go in and fill them in. You can add new categories. You can delete new categories. But uh, there's there's some good software out there for that now. I guess the last question to end on is after you've got a, your hire, they're all set up and ready to go. How do you keep them around? <laughs> wow, that's that's a that's a big topic. Uh, I mean, employee retention is is a huge topic, but it kind of comes full circle to how you attracted them. Are they doing the kind of work they love? Do they buy into the vision and do they have a good deal? And I think if, if they do, then you'll probably keep them for a while. One thing I would say though, that I, I might add to that, and maybe it's part of the deal, uh, is are they developing? So if, if they're the kind of person that wants to take on new challenges, they want to learn, they want to develop, do they have the opportunities to do that? Uh, you know, I've seen people leave companies because they said, look, I've gone as far as I can go in this company. I've done everything. It's been great. But, you know, my next job is to be president of the company and I'm not going to get there because the, there's an existing president. Right. So uh, I think as, as part of that deal and as part of the conversations that managers have with their people, uh, you want to make sure that people are having their, their development needs met. And, and I'm not saying you have to do it for them. Do, you know, I don't think you have to do the actual development plan, but are you supporting them in their their personal and professional development inside the company? Uh, I think is is super important. I like that. That's a great answer. <laughs> Good way to bring it back to the start. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Minimum Viable Podcast, where we share stories about how to start up, show up, and scale up. Make sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes or anywhere else that podcasts are streamed so you'll never miss an episode.